0: You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, we are in the second weekend of Advent, and we're working through a series as a church, uh, working our way through John chapter 1. We've called this series The Light Has Come. And uh, last weekend, Cam opened up the series with a ton of energy. And passion, and he looked at those first three verses of the passage that say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God in the beginning. And oh my gosh, as we talked about last week, there's, there's so much rich theology packed into those first couple of verses alone. And then even verse three says, through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. Here's, here's the essence of what we talked about last week. We said John the author is, he started his gospel account with this very intentional echo of Genesis chapter one, in the beginning. And, uh, and, and here's what he's doing, and I love this. What he's doing is he's starting his version of the Christmas story, not 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born into a manger in Bethlehem, but he, he starts the story at the very beginning of time. He says, in the beginning was the word, who later in John chapter one, he'll identify as Jesus. He says Jesus was there actively involved in creating all things, that he was with God in the very beginning, but more than that, that he was God, that he is God, and through him everything in the universe that we see and touch and feel and experience was created. And you know, that adds so much depth and meaning and beauty to the Christmas story, we can't forget that, that the one who created all things, who sustains all things, that he came into the world to, to be with us, his creation. The humility of God that he would put on flesh and dwell among us. I, I love the way that it's said in the song Arrival. It's a song by Hosong Worship and just so, such beautiful lyrics. The, the, the artist says, says this, who is God that he would take our frame? The artisan inside the paint. The one who had no start or knows no end became confined to time and tense. This is the beauty of the Christmas story. In other words, the God who came up with the whole idea of flesh and blood and bones and muscles and ligaments, the human body, he put one on himself and he came to live among us, came to save us. So, So last week we looked at the transcendent nature of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus, his role in creation. And then this week, we're gonna look at John chapter one, but we're gonna look at verse four and five. And here's what John writes in those verses. He says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all humanity. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. again, there's so much packed into those two verses. John makes sure that every single word counts. So I wanna work through it pretty slowly. I wanna go kind of phrase by phrase and unpack a few words at a time. So we'll start with those first four words. In him was life. You know, when I started to look at this passage over this last week and and, and just start to look at depth of meaning and all that's going on here, what I assumed is that John was kind of just restating what was said in the first three verses, that he was saying that the word was there in the beginning and, and that all things were created through him and then in him was life. And essentially he put breath into our lungs. And of course he is the author of life and he does put breath in our lungs, but it turns out that verse four isn't just a restating of those first three verses. See, in the original Greek, in case you didn't know, the Bible wasn't originally written in English. It was written in Hebrew and Aramaic and then the New Testament was written in Greek. And so in, in the original Greek, there, there, there's two different words for life. The first one is bios, which is where we get the word biology. And, uh, and bios is speaking of physical life and a breath in our lungs, a heart that's beating, blood flowing through our veins. That's bios life. And, and those first three verses are all about bios life, saying God is responsible for, for, for bios life. But then John introduces this other word in verse, verse four. He says, he says that, that God is also responsible for zoe life. He says, not only does bio life come from the word, But so does Zoe life. And this Zoe life, it has a different meaning. What Zoe life means is is purpose or meaning. You could say abundant life or what John is going to go on and say in his gospel, he's going to call life to the full. And that Zoe life, meaning and purpose, I think that's something that all humanity is longing for, like a life that actually means something, a life of purpose. See, I think there's there's an intrinsic desire in every human heart to do something meaningful with the years that we have on earth. And this quest for Zoe life, for meaning, is, is actually what drives a lot of people to come to church or to come to Alpha, this program that we run, asking, why am I here? Does life on earth actually mean anything? Or am I just taking up space in the universe? Maybe you're here today and you're asking that very question was I born for a purpose? Does does anyone even care that I'm here? John makes this case that that purpose, that meaning, that Zoe life is found in Jesus. I love the way that St. Augustine talks about the quest for meaning in one of his confessions. He says it like this. He says, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Our hearts are restless and I don't know if you've ever felt that way before, but I think restlessness is actually a definer of our modern age. Another way to describe restlessness is anxiety. You know, if Augustine wrote those words today, he'd probably say, our hearts are anxious until they find their rest in you. Do you know anyone who struggles with anxiety in your world? You know, a recent study said that 30% of adults in, across North America struggle with an anxiety disorder at least at one moment in their life. And and based on my own anecdotal experience, that statistic actually sounds quite low. I don't know what criteria they're using, um, but but it seems to be so much more than that, at least among youth and young people. And and even this this low-grade anxiety that many of us encounter on a regular basis is largely rooted, this anxiety is largely rooted in trying to find Zoe life, but often trying to find Zoe life in a place that Zoe life can't be found. We're looking for, for meaning and purpose in people or in stuff or in promotions or relationships. And, and all of those things are incapable of filling us, at least to the level that our souls long to be filled at. We were created to experience like life to the full. So anything short of that of overflowing fulfillment, it leaves us restless or anxious, leaves us longing for more. And usually, at least in my own experience, even if, even if you get that thing that you long for, even if you get that thing that you think is gonna make you happy, whatever it is, growing your business to six figures or, or that new toy, or you get the girl, or, or you finally buy the home, or you have your own kids, which you've been waiting for a long time, or you get the job that pays beyond minimum wage, or whatever it is, and none of those things are bad things. A lot of them are good things but they leave us longing for more because they're not the place that Zoe life is found. They're gifts to be enjoyed, but it's relationship with the giver of the gifts that is where we find and experience life, at least the abundant life that Jesus is talking about. So you can have all those things and still be longing. And you can also have none of those things and be completely filled. In other words, all of that stuff is irrelevant for a happy and full life. A great spouse, a great, as good as that is, a great marriage is not gonna fulfill the deepest longing in your heart. Even like a floor ticket to Taylor Swift in Vancouver. It is not gonna change your life the way that you think it is, I promise. And don't get me wrong, it will be super fun while it lasts. And if anyone has an extra ticket, I will gladly come along and sing Shake It Off into the late hours of the night. But at some point, that concert is gonna end. And that same restlessness that you experienced beforehand is gonna follow you home. That longing for more. Because you were made for more. The life you long for is found in Jesus. You want rest for your soul? It's not gonna happen by binging another Netflix series. That's just gonna numb you for a sec, and enable you to zone out and forget what's going on around you. You're also not gonna find that lasting rest for your soul in a vacation at the beach. And I'm all for getting away. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with a good vacation, but it will never fully satisfy. The life you long for, the fulfillment that you're after, it's found in Jesus. And he noticed, John doesn't just say that Jesus leads to this life or points to the path of life. He says he is the life. In him is life. And this is consistent with what Jesus goes on to say about himself. in, in John chapter 14, verse 10, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This claim from Jesus that he is the life is one of the big things that sets Christianity aside in the marketplace of religions. All the other religions have founders that point to a way that you, are or, that you live in order to have the life that you long for, in order to, to reach zen or whatever it may be. And So, so we have all this moralistic teaching, say do this or live this way or be a good person in order to experience fulfillment or whatever their version of life to the full is. But Christianity says, no, Jesus didn't just come to teach us how to find life. He's not just a prophet pointing out the way that leads to life. He himself is life. But how quickly we forget. And I'm, you know, how quickly I forget. And I'm one of the leaders of this church. I preach on this stuff on the regular. But in the midst of real life, in the midst of the hustle and bustle of my everyday, how quickly I forget that the things of this world are fleeting and are so incapable of filling the deepest longings of my heart. It's so easy to get caught up in the rat race that is life in the modern West and not even realize that it's happening. But the values of this world can so easily seep deep into our hearts. Like, I don't know about you, but I so resonate with the, the hymn writer who says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Like I know that life is found in him. But nothing can fill me like Jesus can. But sometimes my attention span is like Dory in Finding Nemo. Have you seen that movie before? Where every 10 seconds she forgets everything she knows? (laughs) You know, I can so quickly forget, or at least I can get so distracted that I forget. And that's why we need the light. That's why we need a lamp, a light to guide us. And that's where John goes next. He says, in him was life, and the life was the light of all humanity. These two metaphors, life and light, they're so interconnected, like like literally, in a physical sense, you cannot have life without light. The sun is absolutely essential for life on earth. And that's true in so many different ways. But even think about our food source, for example. The sun shines on plants, which enables plants to grow so that we can eat them and, and receive nutrients that we need to live. But I'd imagine there's some people in here who are anti-vegetables. And you say, so no, not me. I don't rely on the sun that way, but does anyone here refuse to eat vegetables? You're just not putting up your hand. I know (laughs) something, I see it. But still, even even the carnivores in the room, and I enjoy a good steak, the sun is responsible for the growing of plants, which feeds the animals which feeds you. And, And plants do so much more than feed us. Think about what happens through the process of photosynthesis. None of that would happen without the sun. We also get vitamin D. From the sun, which is so important for human life. You know, there's parts of the world, even parts of Canada, where, where because of their location in the earth's orbit, they don't get much light, if any, certain times of the year. There's like two to three hours of light, sometimes less. And in those places, generally speaking, people are, are usually quite depressed. That's why the government actually pays you to live in those places, because we need light in order to live. And John says it's the same thing with our spiritual lives. In order to really live... We need light. And this idea of light, it's gonna show up all throughout John's gospel, but even goes back further than John's gospel in the biblical story. Even in the Old Testament, light and and fire are often associated with the presence of God, with his glory. Like think about the burning bush, or the pillar of fire that leads the people of Israel out of Egypt. There's also several pieces of, of poetry and prophetic literature that often describes the glory of God as fire or light, like there's a super cool story in Exodus chapter 33 where Moses asks to see God. Do you remember this? He says, show me your glory, God. But God tells him that no one can see his face. No one can see the face of God and live. But Moses is persistent. He says, no, show it to me. And so God agrees to pass by him. He says that, that he'll pass by and he'll cover himself as he passes by to protect Moses. And after he is passed by, Moses can look on at his back and see him. This is how big and powerful God is, that human eyes can't even bear him. And then Moses does see God's back, so he looks after God has passed by him, he looks at his back. And and this is the effect that that has on him, just seeing God's back. It says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai carrying the two tablets of the testimony, he didn't know that the skin of his face glowed because he had been speaking with God. Remember, he's just looking at his back at this point. Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, saw his radiant face and held back, afraid to get too close. I wonder what Moses' face looked like in that moment. Just glow, just radiating with the presence of God. And this is the closest that any human in the Old Testament got to actually seeing God. And it caused Moses' face to glow, to light up. The light of God's presence just radiated on his face. But see, this is one of the reasons that the incarnation of Jesus is so incredible. God in the flesh. Because in Jesus, the unseeable God became seeable. The light of God's presence came into the world. Isaiah the prophet spoke of this moment where where those who were wandering in darkness would see this great light. And that's exactly what we see in the Christmas story. John chapter one says it like this, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory, John says. Remember, this is what Moses was asking for, to see God's glory. And he did in part. He saw God's back. But in the person of Jesus, we get to see God face to face. This is an imperfect illustration, but I think it might be helpful. Um, Did anyone see the solar eclipse back in 2017 when it showed up? It was super cool, pretty amazing. I hope you did see it. And uh, if if you can even remember that far back, so much has happened in our world since 2017. But I remember the exact place that I was when it happened there was all this hype that was leading up to it. People were booking the day off work or lining their coffee breaks with timing of the eclipse so they could go out and see it. And and the thing that people kept saying as as we were leading up to the eclipse was was, don't look at it without eye protection. It it was on the news and on talk radio, These stern warnings that if you didn't have proper eye protection, then don't look at the eclipse because you could do permanent damage to your eyes. And I tend to be a last-minute guy sometimes. And so, so I didn't have a chance to order proper eye protection on Amazon or wherever you could buy it from. And so that morning, I went on YouTube and I just Googled how, how to make proper eye protection to see the eclipse. And so I made my own glasses out of tinfoil and a cereal box and whatever else I could find. And that eye protection actually did enable me to look directly at the eclipse, to stare at the sun and not destroy my eyes. And that's sort of, and the key word here is sort of, That's sort of like the incarnation of Jesus. In him coming to earth, it's like God gave us these glasses that enabled us to see him in all of his glory. But this is where the the illustration breaks down because Jesus is both the glasses and the eclipse. But hopefully you get what I'm saying. The incarnation of Jesus means that we can look at the sun and can live, that we can actually know what God is like, that we can see him, we can see the light of the world. I want to take a few moments and talk about what the implications of the light coming are. Like, what does it actually mean for us today that the light has come? Well, in short, it means hope. The light has come is this announcement of hope. You know, I absolutely love watching the sunrise in the morning, especially in the spring and summer when there's no clouds and mist and all that we're experiencing right now. But from the window in my apartment, I have this perfect view of the sunrise. And so in the mornings, in the summer, uh, part of my morning routine is I make a cup of coffee and I grab my Bible and whatever other book I'm reading at the time, and I just sit in front of the window and wait for the sun to come up over the mountains. And when it starts to peek up over the mountains and starts to show up, it just kind of goes up and I, I stop whatever I'm doing and I just watch and I wonder at the beauty of the sunrise and the mountains and just all of it. It usually happens around 6.30 a.m. Um, and it just gets brighter and brighter and brighter. Brighter, and it it begins to peer into the window and then suddenly our our whole living room is full of light. You know, in a spiritual sense, that's exactly what happened as Jesus was born into the world. It was this announcement to the scene in the unseen world that the darkness of night was over, that the hope of morning had arrived. There was no longer any reason to be afraid. The light had come. And I love the way John says it in verse five. He says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Another translation says, the light has come and the darkness could not put it out. There's this finality to that statement. Like it tried and it failed. And that declaration, it's not only good news for the Christian, but for all of humanity, for the whole world. Because in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, the curse of death has been reversed. The curse of death has been reversed. It doesn't have the place that it once had in the universe. The darkness cannot overcome the light. And whether you see it or not, the light of Jesus touches every corner of the earth, every fabric of society. Even the darkest and most desolate places, his light is, is shining even there, which means that we don't have to wander in darkness anymore. Because of the light of Jesus, there's hope. There's, there's, the light has conquered the dark. But here's the thing. As you look out at your, out your window in the morning, or as you open up your phone and begin to scroll on social media, and you just start to look for a moment at what's happening in the world, war and oppression and sickness and disease and conflict in the Middle East, maybe you say, it doesn't actually look to me like light is winning over the darkness. Or maybe even in your own situation, maybe you look at what you're walking through and you say, you know, I don't really see a lot of hope. I don't see this hope that you're talking about. It doesn't feel very hopeful, If anything, it feels hopeless. It Does not feel light, it feels dark? And I don't know all the situations that are represented in this room, but I know many. And there there are lots of people in our community who are walking through really difficult stuff. The loss of a loved one, depression, cancer diagnosis, infertility, fractured relationships. There is pain and hardship and it's not only out there. We even experience it in here, even us. And it's so easy to look at that stuff and, 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 and in order to make sense of the situations that we're walking through in the state of our world, it, it's, it's, it's easy to ask and it's valid to ask this question, where is the light in the midst of all of that? You know, John, the author of the text, he'd been well acquainted with these questions. He was one of Jesus' disciples and his closest friends and John experienced the darkest day in human history. There was never a day that was more hopeless, a more hopeless situation than the death of Jesus. Think about it, here's this guy who's leading this revolution of love and healing and introducing the kingdom of God in a way that is just grabbing the hearts of people. Like can you imagine being John or one of Jesus' disciples who really bought into what Jesus was saying, who believed he was the Messiah, who took him at his word when he said that he was the light of the world. How disorienting would it have been as Jesus was then beaten and bruised and hung up on a cross to die. You have to remember, in the context of that first century, when Jesus was hung up on a Roman cross, it would have absolutely looked like darkness had won. Hope obliterated. Like people must have said, I imagine people were taunting Jesus' disciples. Like, where is your life now? Where is your Jesus, this light of the world you've been talking about? He's buried in the darkness of a tomb. Like if ever there was a moment of of despair in human history. And here's the thing. If he had stayed in the darkness, if he had stayed in the tomb, then none of us should be here today. The Christmas story would be nothing more than a sentimental moment of a poor Jewish family from Bethlehem. But he didn't stay in the tomb. The light burst forth. See, the resurrection of Jesus is this great, it's this act of defiance on death and darkness. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, death does not have the final word. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have hope and there's life beyond the grave. Death and all its friends have been defeated. And that is bad news for tyrants. That is bad news for the enemy. Because what's the worst thing that he can do to us? What's the worst thing he can do? Death. But for the Christian, death is just a doorway into resurrection life. The light of Jesus brings hope. So so that's true, that's that's the reality that we know is true on the one side. But then on the other side, here's here's where it can be really difficult, is that we live in the middle of what theologians call the now and not yet, between the inauguration of Jesus as king and the consummation of his rule and reign. That's actually what this season of Advent is is all about, the waiting between the first coming of the light and the second, between Jesus coming to earth 2,000 years ago as a baby in Bethlehem and his second coming in the future where he'll do away with darkness altogether and make all things new. So let me ask this. Is there darkness in the world around us today? Yeah, absolutely there is. There's heaps of it. There's evidence of, is, is there evidence of the principalities and powers of darkness at work to kill, steal, and destroy? For sure there is. There is pain and sorrow and destruction all around us. That's the consequence of the fall where sin entered the world, and yet, there's also light. There's also hope. We see evidence of Jesus' future age dragged into the present. Evidence of Jesus' soon incoming kingdom in the here and in the now. We live in this tension of the now and not yet, in the midst of two realities. And that can be a difficult place to live. But it also means that we can look at our, our current situations, not with despair, but with hope knowing that there's more going on than meets the eye, and that because the light has come, there's more, there's hope for the future. Dale Bruner, who's a great theologian, he, uh, he, he points out the significance of the tense in verse five. This might sound super geeky, and maybe it is, but I think it's actually really important for us to note that the tense in John, on John five, it changes. Up until this point, John has been writing in past tense, verse one to three, And then, or even into four. But in in verse five, it changes. See, John doesn't say the light shone in the darkness. He says the light shines in the darkness. You can even translate that shines on or or shines even now. The light of life continues to shine in the darkness. And here's a question What's the primary way that, that Jesus shines his light into the world today? It's through his church through his church. See, see, as we've been saying, Jesus is the light of the world, but, but it, here, here's what's a bit confusing, is elsewhere in scripture, Jesus also says, calls us the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, but he also says in his sermon on the mount, you are the light of the world. So which is it, Jesus? Are you the light, or are we the light? The answer is both. He is the true light of the world. but as his followers, as his people on the earth, he invites us to be part of his light the world project. We are active participants in Jesus' mission to shine light, to bring the the light of Christ into the darkest places of society. And that's what we saw the early church do. You know, in those first few centuries, especially as those early Christians began to follow Jesus and and allow the the way of Jesus to change the way that they lived their lives and and spent their money and viewed their bodies and cared for the poor and marginalized. the way they stood for equality and justice and the sanctity of life, it made this massive impact, ripples on the world around them. And the light of Jesus began to break into this incredibly dark first century Roman world. Like for example, do you know it was Christians that started the first hospitals? Like before Jesus came on the scene, caring for the sick, it was seen as weak. You would never help a sick person or a diseased person because survival of the fittest natural selection. If someone was sick, they probably deserved it. But Jesus' followers had this deep conviction that all humans were made in the image of God and had this immeasurable value. And so with this conviction and the teachings of the New Testament, this growing movement of Christians began to ex- extend care to all people, not just people who could afford a, a personal physician, but even those who, who, who couldn't. It was also Christians who started the first ever orphanages, before Jesus, it was common practice to discard unwanted babies, usually baby girls, outside the city gates. Infanticide, it was completely normal and acceptable. But followers of Jesus believed in the sanctity of life. And so, so they would go around and they would collect these children from outside the gates and they would take them into their homes and raise them as their own kids, loving them and caring for them. I could go on. So many of the things that we think are normal And obvious ways to think and to live and to look at the world were not normal before Jesus, before the light came into the world. Even the desire for racial equality, for gender equality, before Jesus, that was not a thing. Inequality was an acceptable and celebrated part of life. Jesus literally flipped the world upside down. And then as his followers, as Christians took their role seriously to be the light of the world, to carry God's presence wherever they went, It changed the course of human history, and it continues to change the world today. The light continues to shine in the darkness. Even in 2023, even here in Coquitlam, the light continues to shine. I think even as, as recently as yesterday, we hosted an event here called Christmas Village, and I would imagine in a room this size, many of you were probably here serving. I think there was 120 people who stepped up and served at that event, either on the day or the days leading up, wrapping gifts and all the rest of it. And what we were able to do with Christmas Village is throw this beautiful Christmas dinner and, uh, and give out gifts and just extend a warm welcome to those who are in really needy situations in our city, without food, some without family, some immigrants here or refugees who don't have a place to go for Christmas. We were able to host. That is the light of Christ breaking in. Actually, I wanna show you a quick video, a recap of that event that took place yesterday. It's kind of fun. done, church. That is the light of Christ shining here in Coquitlam in the lower mainland. This week, we also got to to welcome Shadan into Canada, into our church community. Shadan is a passionate follower of Jesus, but he's never lived in a place where he could freely worship Jesus with other people. And so we were able to support him to bring him over to Canada. He he arrived in in Canada this week. We're going to introduce you to him next week. He'll come up on stage and we'll have cake and all the rest of it. But, but, but how cool is that? Caring for refugees and the foreigner, it is so close to the heart of God. And that is the light shining in the darkness. Every time we give out a new pair of clothes to someone in need or fill a shopping cart full of food and for people in our food pantry, we are allowing the light of Jesus to shine in the darkness. Another way that the church is the light in the darkness is through Prayer we're gonna spend the entire month of January growing in prayer together through our services and community groups curriculum and all the rest of it. But I was so encouraged seeing how our church family has surrounded John Hawes, our worship pastor in this last season in the area of prayer. Like hundreds and hundreds of people have sent in in prayers that they've been praying over John and letting us know they're praying. So, so cool. I actually wanna share a a report from John. Some of you probably got this in your email this last week. Um, But John said, hello church, I'm very thankful to say that I've been released from the hospital to continue my recovery at home. I've been overwhelmed by the love and support which I've received from my church family and I cannot begin to express the gratitude I have for all of your prayers. Please join me in rejoicing and giving glory to God for saving my life and bringing me to the point where I can continue to heal at home. Here's an update on my current health situation. Over this last two weeks, I've I've progressed to the point where I no longer require supplemental oxygen. I'm also now able to stand for small amounts of time and walk short distances with the aid of a walker. I thank God for those significant improvements. However, there's still a long way to go towards recovery. Due to the decrease in my lung capacity and physical activity leaves me breathless and fatigued. My lungs have sustained a significant amount of damage and right now my doctors are attempting to bring down the inflammation in the lung tissue in order to minimize the amount of scarring. The hope is that these things will greatly improve over time and that much of the lung function that has been lost will return. Please continue to pray for healing in my lungs, specifically that lung function would return and that permanent scarring would be minimal. I'm so looking forward to the day when I am strong enough to join with you all again in worship of our God and King. Church, I love you and I miss you all dearly, your brother in Christ, John. So cool, can we celebrate that? So good. And in true John Hawes fashion, that was an incredibly wordy letter. But I wonder, as you, as you look ahead at these weeks leading up to Christmas, where might God be inviting you to shine his light, to be a carrier of hope? You know, maybe it's inviting that lonely neighbor into your home for Christmas dinner. Maybe it's advocating for peace amidst the tensions of your family and all that's going on. Maybe it's, maybe it's giving extravagantly to our Christmas Eve offering, helping those in the Middle East. You're going to hear more about that later in the service. Maybe it's keeping your head up in line at the grocery store instead of just looking down at your phone while you wait in line, actually making eye contact, taking time to encourage the person beside you. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are called to bring his light into the darkness and the desolate places of the world. And so as we close, I just wanna summarize by saying this. While there is absolutely evidence of the darkness in our world, there's also this beautiful evidence of the light and even though we live in this overlapping age of the now and not yet, the age that is and the age to come, we can be filled with so much hope that darkness has not and will not overcome the light. And when Jesus comes again, oh man, that is gonna be a glorious day when Jesus returns. Darkness will be eradicated once and for all. You know, here's how John, this is the same guy that penned the verses we've been looking at together today. This is how he talked about the age to come. He said, this is in Revelation chapter 21. He said, in that city, there will be no more night. There will be no more need for light or lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord will give them light. Our future hope is a city with no more sorrow, with no more pain, no more darkness. It's a place where the light of Christ radiates so brightly that there is no need for the sun. The light has come. There is hope. Amen? Amen. I'm gonna invite the team to come up. And we're going to respond in some, some singing together, but let me just pray for us as we transition into song. Lord Jesus, we are so incredibly thankful for this beautiful truth that light has come, that we don't have to wander in darkness, that because of you there is hope for now, for today, and there is hope for the future, that even the worst things that we could walk through in life are not the last things. That for the Christian, there's hope even beyond the grave. So I hope, I, I pray, God, I pray that this Christmas, that you would help us to bring your hope, to bring your light into the dark places that we will go together, to our schools and apartment buildings, to our workplaces, to wherever we find ourselves, to Christmas dinner with extended family, that you would help us to bring the light and the hope, the peace, the shalom of God into those dark places. It's in your name we pray, Amen. Uh, Would you stand and we'll sing together. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of C.A. Church.